Hey everybody! Welcome to Nonstop Chit Chai with your hosts Navi and Novera, where we literally chat nonstop about brown people things like marriage, aunties, fair and lovely, and basically everything a third culture kid experiences in today's world. Nonstop Chit Chai. Let's chat. Today's episode is Swiped Off Your Feet. We talk about the phenomenon of online dating, the good, the bad, the ugly, and the baffling. We speak with the founder of Dilmil, KJ Dhaliwal, and explore the stigma around online dating and how we can understand this new realm of making romantic relationships work. So, let's chat. So, interestingly, online dating actually had its origins in the 1960s with the emergence of the first computer dating services. These services said that they would use the power of computers to help the luckless in love. And this is a quote from Aziz Ansari's book, Modern Romance. And he talks about it and he says that the clients were asked to fill out these paper questionnaires that were then fed into the computer. The computer would chew onto the data. And then based on whatever algorithm had been entered into it, it would spit out two theoretically compatible clients. Ideally, it's the same thing that all these dating apps are doing, but just with paper and old school computer data. The world of online dating was very different 10 years ago and even 30 years ago. 30 years ago, uh, in addition to these old school computers that they had, people used to put personnel ads in newspapers. And we wanted to read a really hilarious one from New York Magazine. I actually wish that I met this person now, (laughs) but it's called Forever Single. Fui, says this very attractive, slim, successful male professional, 30, who is more sensitive than Mother Teresa, more lovable than E.T., wiser than Yoda, and more modest than a presidential candidate, seeking a pretty, slim, warm female who yearns for a serious relationship that is more fun than human beings should be allowed to have. (laughs) What even is a warm female? (laughs) And that kind of goes to, you know, Rishta aunties. Like now, maybe it's not magazines, but these Rishta aunties still exist where you have women who have these diaries of like, oh, you have a son, he is 30. Oh, you have a daughter, she's 28. Oh, eligible bachelor, let me put them together. And I've always found Rishta aunties really weird because I'm like, you don't know me, auntie. You don't know him. So why are you putting us together? Because I am a woman and he is a man and we're of the same like ethnic group or religion or whatever it is and you're putting us together. And it works for some people, but I just, I don't get it. Mm -hmm. And that kind of goes back to what South Asians, the added complexity of us dating. That's not just us trying to find a person that's compatible personality-wise, but it's also us finding somebody who's compatible uh, culturally. Ethnically, your families have similar backgrounds, income levels, professions. So there's so many added complexities, I think, for South Asians that makes dating in today's world a little bit more complex. And you see it changing a little bit, but I, I still think for the most part with South Asians, particularly among a lot of ethnic groups, they like to stick within themselves. Even having like a Pakistani marry an Indian sometimes is outrageous. Sikh people, for example, just going outside of what your caste is, is outrageous for some families. And I feel like if you were an outsider looking in, it would be so hard for you to understand why it's so difficult. And that's why I think Rishtantis then work, right? Because there is this emphasis on what my ethnic background is or what my religion is. And so these Rishta aunties find these characteristics, then you can kind of narrow down the pool and then you can find your significant other within that. 
Well, then 10 years ago, actually, what was pretty common was online dating services like Shadi.com mm-hmm. was pretty common. And I still think it's common. And what's interesting about that is that it was actually families or siblings or parents that were the ones going on and making these profiles. Whereas now, dating apps, you are navigating that yourself. Today, we have a plethora of online dating, which is what we're here to talk about in this episode. And online dating kind of takes the control and gives it back to us. I know you mentioned Shadi.com and you said, you know, a lot of parents and families are the ones that are creating these profiles for their children. So there's this lack of control that you as the individual who is the one looking for your partner has. And online dating gives that control back to us as the user or the one that's like looking for love or looking for a partner or whatever it is that you're looking for. Mm -hmm. And actually, according to a study by the University of Chicago, between 2005 and 2012, more than one third of couples who got married in the United States met through an online dating app. And to add to that, the Washington Post recently published an article where they showed all of the means that people were meeting each other 10 years ago, 20 years ago, and then today. And everything was dramatically down in terms of how couples met each other, except for online dating. So friends, family, colleagues, in college, through work, all of those means were dramatically down, whereas online dating was dramatically up. If you think about it though, before you had Shadi.com, Match.com, OkCupid.com, these were all websites that you had to have on your computer, right? Now you could just be on the train swiping left and right. You could be, you know, on the shitter swiping left or right. You literally <laughs> oh, yeah. could be anywhere wasting away hours. Sometimes not always, but you know, wasting away hours at times mindlessly swiping. And one thing though that's interesting to think about is that your friends and family have your best interests at heart. Right. Whereas dating apps, if you think about it, are owned by for-profit corporations. Mm -hmm. So Tinder, for example, IPO'd in 2015 and their stock price has since tripled. And where are they making their money? They're making their money through people paying for enhanced services. It's in the best interest of these corporations to have us keep swiping left and right for as long as possible. Right. So just food for thought there. It is an interesting fact. And, and you know, later we talked to the founder of Dill Milk. He talks about how they do find their matchmaking stories, their love stories to be a form of motivation for other people to join the app. So I think there's a balance, right? There's this balance of on the one hand, we want you to find your soulmate so we can lure another people. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but on the other, we want to keep single people around because that's how we make our money. Exactly. And then there is this stigma about online dating that we need to dispel, I think, in the general millennial population as a whole, but more so in the South Asian culture. Even us, like both of us went into it with a lot of skepticism. And while there are a lot of negative aspects to it, I mean, we learned a lot. I mean, get this, Navi uses, and I am guilty of this too, (laughs) but online dating to promote our podcast? Which is brilliant because why not, yes. right? And I will say thank you for guys that I've matched with that have actually <laughs> messaged me with feedback about the podcast and the fact that they've listened to episodes and are giving us positive feedback. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. And the goal is to, you know, enhance our market. And that's what we're doing. <laughs> that's what we're doing. No, it's great. You know, and that stigma is slowly fading away. So we're just here today to talk about 
what is out there, why people are using it, how we can benefit from it and what we can learn from it because there are positives and there are negatives. Exactly, and also just to realize that this is part of today's reality. So if you met somebody and people ask how you met, saying that you met online, it's completely fine to acknowledge that because it is today's reality. Yeah. KJ Dalibal is the founder of Dilmil, the very popular South Asian online dating app. KJ recognized the growing need of online matchmaking in the South Asian community and was one of the first to take action. Let's hear more. I realized, you know, there was a really big problem in our community. So my sister, in fact, you know, she at the time was single and she's a doctor, was having a hard time finding, you know, somebody. And I realized that it was a problem not just with her and our friends and immediate kind of cousins. It was a problem with pretty much every South Asian that you knew, which, you know, after kind of you graduate school and college or university, you really are limited to who you can meet and how you can meet them. And then after people exhausted their offline social graph through their friends and family, they were limited in terms of how they could meet other South Asians. So Shadi.com was kind of like the last resort for a lot of people. And I saw the rise of other dating apps like Tinder, and I saw that there needs to be a, a South Asian dating app um, that really solved this problem for this community because let's be honest, like Shadi.com you know, was terrible. It still is. People are afraid to be on there. People are often on there without them knowing. So I saw that opportunity and that's kind of how the company started. What makes Dillmail different from the other dating apps? We're focusing mainly on the diaspora market. These are South Asians living in the US, UK, Canada, you know, outside of South Asia per se. And for them, they can't walk outside and run into 10 different potential matches for themselves because it's just how geographically dispersed we are. So because of that, it makes it very difficult to meet other South Asians. So the larger kind of mass market dating apps don't really work as well because most of them are focused on their locality. So they're hyper local. So like on Tinder, for example, you'll see people X miles away from you, right? On Bumble, you can do that as well. And what we found actually was that most South Asians, if you grew up in a particular area, chances are you already kind of know of all of the potential matches for you in your immediate vicinity through kind of your your friends, through community events that you go to, you might go to the same temple or church. And of course, if you move to a new area, there's more opportunity, but that's, you know, not everybody does that. So really where the opportunity was like opening yourself up to long distance relationships and meeting people outside of your immediate vicinity or your locality. And a lot of the larger dating apps don't really do that well. Like that's not the central axiom, how their algorithms work. And that was one of the insights that we had very early on. Actually, today on Dillmill, most of the success stories that we have are actually long distance. It's, you know, people across the country or even in other countries. So we have a lot of like London and New York and Toronto and Texas and, you know, all over the world. How do you measure success on your app? You know, there's different levels of success, right? There's the first step is to somebody getting a match. Um, the next is like you're in an active conversation with the person. And then the next is you exchange like a phone number and email address to take it offline. The next step is the person getting into a relationship and then ultimately, you know, getting married. And, you know, and, and a lot of people are in relationships, they don't get married and, and that's cool, right? I mean, our main goal is to help build meaningful relationships. But, you know, the, obviously the, the very clear metric for us is the number of marriages. Like that's like all the way at the bottom of the funnel, right? It's very hard to measure accurately, but we do know that on average, every hour on Dillmill, there's a new relationship formed, like somebody getting engaged or you know start dating. Um, and then every day there's at least one marriage uh, that we know about. So these are people that are reaching out to us, telling us that 
thank you so much. Like you helped me find my life partner. You know, we get about 30 of those a month. There's probably a lot more out there and people aren't always comfortable sharing with us, but it's it's harder to kind of measure that. Um, the other way we measure it is if you delete your account on the app, we ask you why you're deleting. So a lot of people indicate there that they met somebody on Dilma. What is the criticism that you've received about Bill Mill? Something I think about very deeply is just dating apps in general, right? Like what is the role that dating apps are playing and, and how it's impacting society? You know, it's really interesting because back in the day, people would meet like, you know, in person, right? Before there was any internet or technology, right? And, and so you would get married to people within your local vicinity through your family and friends. And now it's like you're sitting in your bedroom and you can really match with anybody any, anywhere in the world. That's really powerful. But at the same time, um, it's a little bit problematic because all of a sudden people think they have a lot more options than, than they really do. Or, you know, they do have a lot more options than they did traditionally. But people are less likely to be committed in relationships, uh, meaning like whenever there's an issue, um, it's very easy to open a dating app and find somebody else. So in that sense, you know, that's that's a problem, I feel like, that's arising from dating apps, the culture of dating apps. And we do believe that, you know, it's our responsibility to be able to help improve that. In terms of other negative things that happen um, on, on dating apps, I mean, obviously there's there's spam, there's catfishing and, and different things that happen. And, you know, we have uh, systems in place to help uh, reduce those things. It's obviously impossible to get rid of all of them. It's, it's really interesting because like a part of it's kind of like, like evolution and, and how humans have evolved over time. There's this book called Sex at Dawn and it talks about like how before like modern day society, we were really just like hunter-gatherers and we would have like relationships, multiple relationships at the same time with multiple people in terms of like having, having children and the children were raised like in, in a very communal like fashion like in a community-based environment um, and then eventually like there was a concept of like land and agriculture and people formed houses and you know relationships and then there was like a husband and a wife and uh, kind of a nuclear family um, so that's really happened in the last couple thousand years right and now it's kind of ironic also but it's also interesting I think we're moving back to that right where people are starting to um, have a lot more relationships throughout their life before either they get married or they're getting getting divorced and then, then they're getting remarried or there's a lot of people that are getting divorced and never married again. It's interesting. I mean, I think I think in a, in a way, like even though it is our responsibility to help people build meaningful relationships, right? That's really what I was saying earlier. Like whatever that means for you as a society, we're really moving towards um, this culture of like being able to have multiple relationships throughout your life, but potentially at the same time, um, right? And I think that like that is driven a lot by, a lot of it's driven by dating apps and technology. Could you tell us about how men and women use Bill Mail differently? I would say, like, fundamentally, what people are looking for actually doesn't change much. You know, according to men or women, it's really um, an age thing. So users that are, like, under 25 generally are looking for something more casual. And women, obviously, their scale is, is a little bit younger than that. So it's like women are, like, in the under 23, they're looking for something more casual. Guys under 25, post-25 is when it starts to get a little more serious in terms of what they're looking for and their gender relationship versus kind of a casual one in terms of how they use the app girls are a lot more selective right so like we see that women will take more time like on each profile and they'll swipe right a lot less frequently than men do um, and men will just swipe right on a lot of profiles um, and hoping to get a match so i think that's just general like how society works in general uh, women are more thoughtful in that sense you know how they use the app other than that i mean it's 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 very similar i mean we don't see any major differences in terms of what people do on the i mean once they're matched they chat um, and if they like the person they're pretty engaged you know we have paying users across the board women and men in, in fact we have a lot of paying women as well you know a lot of times people are surprised because they're like oh why would like this girl that 
she's beautiful and like she's you know she's educated like why would she be on Delmel Payne it's because it's very hard for her actually to find a quality guy because there's a lot of noise that she has to filter through she's willing to pay a premium for that so let's go ahead now and just talk about the various apps that we have and how the conversations or the type of people who use those apps, or at least in our experience and what we've read, uh, kind of differs with each. Yeah. So first we have um, Tinder, mm-hmm. swipe left, swipe, swipe right, culture. It's kind of the hookup culture. I have not used Tinder very much. I just felt like it wasn't wasn't my jam, but yeah. some people have found success with it. And then I did try Bumble for a little while, and the whole point of Bumble is to empower women because women are the ones messaging first. But I felt that it actually was did the opposite in some sense. Really? Yeah, because what ends up happening is women are the ones going out of their way to message men who do not necessarily message back. And it can mm. hurt self-confidence for women. So I'm kind of interested to see, you know, how Bumble evolves. Yeah, and they just moved to India mm-hmm. as well. And Priyanka Chopra is actually their uh, brand ambassador. So I'm really curious to see how it differs there versus here. Yeah, and from what I've heard, online dating is pretty hard for women in South Asia because yeah. there are just so many people in those countries. That's and true. it's really hard to weed through who you think. That's true your actual match would be. So coffee meets bagel is another pretty common one. And I feel like it's okay, but it's more thoughtful because it limits your matches per day. Mm -hmm. So you have to be more thoughtful when you decide to choose somebody. So the cool thing with coffee meets bagel, I actually um, met this attorney who does hijab and she met her husband on coffee meets bagel. And I was asking her, I said, you know, I feel like Muslims don't tend to find their spouse on Coffee Meets Bagel, Tinder, kind of the the general apps. And she said, well, you know, I was in New York and in New York, Coffee Meets Bagel is used by a lot of brown people, a lot Mm. of Muslims, a lot of non-Muslim, but like Indians, Pakistanis, Sri Lankans. And she was saying that the pool is significantly larger there, Mm. which is fascinating because when I was on Coffee Meets Bagel, I did not see that here. It was mostly white people or Latinos. Mm -hmm. That was it. Interesting. And I will say, I am impressed that some of these dating apps that are not South Asian focused have an option to identify yourself as South Asian. Mm. Coffee Meets Bagel actually has that option. So that does help in terms of even for their algorithms when they're matching people. Interesting. So The League is an app that sometimes comes off as pretentious because before you even get on the app, you have to validate that you have a LinkedIn account. (laughs) And so meaning that you are some sort of professional. And once again, you get certain matches per day. The whole point is that it intends to match well-educated, in quotes, professionals. I hated The League. Yes, exactly. I absolutely (laughs) hated The League. I thought that it was the most pretentious. Even the guys that were on there, it was like they were basically like bros, total bros. Maybe that was just my perception. Maybe I'm being crazy, but like, it was weird. I think out of all of the dating apps, The League was the weirdest one. Then you've got Hinge, which actually I have really enjoyed because you could be more creative when you're creating your profile, Mm -hmm. which I think is really interesting. You get to see people's personalities and it matches you based on two or three degrees of separation because it links to your Facebook friends. Interesting. So there's some sort of sense that, hey, I already know this person because they might be friends of a friend. Yeah. So I think that's something that people are looking for. They're looking for some sort of connection so they can validate that this person is, in quotes, a real person. Yeah. And Hinge provides that. And so which one of these do you primarily use? 
Hinge. Hinge, okay. Just FYI in case anyone wants to find me. (laughs) (laughs) And so now though, you're finding subcultures have their own apps. You've got Grindr, which is for like same-sex couples. You've got J-Swipe, which is like Jewish, farmers only, Asian apps. All these ethnicities or religious groups have subcultures. And so you've got Dale Mill, which is actually agnostic to locations because the whole goal is to expand your boundaries if you're looking for someone of the same ethnic or religious background. I felt like... Like the people I matched with were not as thirsty as in some of the other apps. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I don't know what that has anything to do with, but yeah. And I've generally had a good experience so far. I've matched with good, interesting people yeah. and I'm happy that it's out there because there's nothing else like it. Yeah, right, right. It is very unique. So then we have Minder, which is Muslim Tinder. I was on Minder for a couple of years. I am now engaged, so I am no longer on these dating apps. But (laughs) when I was on the dating apps... Congrats. um, Thanks. When when I was on these dating apps, I was on Minder. And what I found fascinating about Minder was because it is Muslim, you have a wide spectrum of practicing Muslims, right? So it would have this religiosity bar that you would put you know, how religious you were, and then you would be matched with someone who was on that same religiosity as you. And then you would have other things like don't drink, don't smoke, whatever that is. So it was interesting because there are always like secret ways too of putting your stuff on your profile. So if you put don't smoke, but you don't put don't drink, then it's like, oh, this person drinks, even though you're not putting it out there because Mm. saying you're a Muslim who drinks is, you know, a little bit taboo. You don't say that. So it was just interesting. It was like a whole puzzle to that dating app. The thing is with Minder, it is location-based. And so, you know, if you're in Chicago, you only see the Muslim men and women around you in Chicago. Um, If you're in New York, same thing. But again, there were some weird people on there. There were also a (laughs) lot of people who just like swipe right on you and then it sits in your inbox for... Forever. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Basically forever. Basically. And you're like, who are you? Why? Why did you do this? (laughs) Or or I've actually been in situations where maybe the person and I have never messaged each other, but then we see each other randomly out. Oh my god. And I will recognize them from far away and maybe they'll recognize me too. And so it's just it's just hilarious how the world gets smaller and smaller because you've just all of a sudden expanded your reach of meeting people so much. That's nuts. That is nuts. So the thing with dating apps though is that there are all these unspoken rules. So when you're creating a profile, there's a whole artwork that goes into what your profile looks like. What's your first picture? What's your tagline? When I was on dating apps, one thing that I would see was not only just the picture, obviously the picture is the first thing that people look at, but I would look at what's the tagline and like the first couple of sentences in their like about me section. And I felt like if you were too pretentious where you're like, I'm this and I went to this school and I'm a lawyer. And I was like, I don't know that. Like mine, I remember some of the things that I had on mine were like, I love to sing and I take pictures and I could have a conversation with you in friends quotes and you know what's your favorite art piece or like what's your favorite song to karaoke to it's like how engaging are you Mm -hmm. if you're just like a lot of them would be like looking for Mrs. Right or like (laughs) swipe right if you want to have a good time and I'm like oh my god who are these yeah I do appreciate when people have the about me section but some people will have tell you later and you're like come on this is the one chance you have to tell us so you exactly. should tell me because otherwise I'm just gonna swipe left yeah. and I do think the first picture is so important, it's really important. And it, because it's just like when you're meeting somebody in person the first impression lasts a lifetime yeah. and it's sort of the same thing with online dating that first impression is immediately gonna determine not immediately but it has a large impact in determining whether or not you're swiping right or left just to kind of link 
your profile and your profile picture back to our episode two, the brown and the beautiful, you are being judged now based on the color of your skin. My my fiance does not have hair. And so he said, you know, it was really hard for a bald guy to date and be on dating apps. Sorry, because mm-hmm. you get swiped left a lot. Like yep. dark guys. I was at a conference this weekend and one of these guys who was Indian, who was talking to me about how he's very dark. And he said, you know, I struggle on dating apps because the first thing people see is how dark I am and they just swipe left. Yep. And so... That's another thing is like, how do you pick a photo if you feel like, you know, maybe you're not photogenic or you're just being judged by that? And it it sucks because I love my fiance. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) it's so true. And I feel like I can catch myself doing that sometimes. Yeah. But then the combination of the person's personality in those photographs paired with their profile can make a big difference. That's true. When someone is smiling, when someone is doing something active, when someone is just genuinely looks really happy. Yeah. That makes a big difference. That's true. But I think that you are a little more open-minded than true. the average person. And true. I feel like that's the thing. And and also, how many times are we mindlessly swiping? All the like, time. It's some, I mean, not all the time, but many but times. But many times, right? <laughs> it's like sometimes you're just mindlessly swiping and not actually taking the time to go and read the about me. Or you just look at the first picture and you're like, eh, no, swipe yeah. left, right? The worst is when I accidentally swiped right. When I meant to swipe left, I'm like, oh, crap, oh, crap, crap, undo, undo, undo. I've done that too. <laughs> and then I have to go and unmatch, which yeah. I feel so bad about. But I'm like, I'm sorry. <laughs> I didn't want to do that in the first place. Or sometimes I've swiped left when I meant to swipe right. And then I'm like, darn it. Yeah. Oh, and then you can't I wish go I matched with that person. Yeah, and then I can't go back. Unless you pay for it, of course. Right. So back to some of these rules. So like, okay, who initiates asking for the number? Do you talk on the phone before you go on a date? You know, where do you go on the date? Mm-hmm. Or have you just, are you planning that whole date through the app right. or through your phone? Huh. What happens after date number one? Like, how do you initiate your communication after that? How many people can you talk to at the same time? And then at what point are you actually dating? Versus talking. Versus yes. Just versus getting to know each other. And also, does dating mean that you're exclusive? Right. I don't think it does anymore. Yeah. I feel like sometimes people can date multiple people. Yeah. No, it is. It is a very complicated world. Yes. And I think it's something that we're still trying to understand. And I, at the end of the day, I think you just want to find somebody who's on the same page as you. Exactly. And I think a lot of it is just setting your expectations when you go in to this dating world. And part of setting your expectations is also this concept of rejection. Right. We are basically exposed to so much more rejection when we are on the online dating world because we've opened ourselves up to thousands more people than we would ever come across just in our daily lives right before it was just rejection in person now you not only have in-person rejection you have digital rejection exactly and that rejection comes in different forms sometimes it's when someone doesn't match with you sometimes it's when someone doesn't message you back sometimes it's, it's when someone rejects you after the first date so now there's all these layers of rejection as well right. and one study actually found that 50% of matches don't actually message back so part of it is us going into online dating knowing that us not matching with somebody or being rejected is not about us and we should not let that affect our self-confidence yeah. it's easier said than done definitely but it's just getting yourself in that mindset that literally there are thousands of people out there that you're matching with you will reject some and some will reject you right and there are so many forms of rejection now that have come about with this whole online world so mm-hmm. we have ghosting right It's the practice of ending a relationship by just disappearing. Then we have breadcrumbing, which is 
not being super interested in someone, but continuing to lead them on. So one psychologist actually said a lot of this is ego. Mm-hmm. So this constant validation and attention, even if there's no desire to commit, you're still getting this, you know, attention from somebody else because you're keeping them around. Exactly. Um, I matched with this guy. We went on a date. It was a nice time. Um, you know, I thought, let's see where this goes. And he texted me. He was like, hey, let's meet up. And then later that day, he was like, oh, actually, like work's come up. I can't meet up. Let's meet in a couple days. I was like, sure. So he like kept messaging me randomly throughout the day, whatever. A couple days later, it was like an hour before we were supposed to meet up. He's like, hey, sorry, work's come up. I can't really meet up. And then I found out he was like in the same place as I was, like within the <laughs> same vicinity. Um, so he just kept kind of keeping me on and like pulling me along for the ride, but he didn't want to see me. So it was just weird. So anyway, so I being the very straightforward and in your face person that I am, I had called him out on it. I was like, hey dude, listen, If you are not feeling this, just tell me you're not feeling this, but don't string me along. I had a good time with you and like, I'd be happy to keep this friendship as like platonic, but this is not okay. And it was funny because I actually saw him texting back with like the dot, dot, dot. And then it was like gone. <laughs> and then it came back and then it was gone. And then he finally So he like, was clearly thinking about how right. to he was give like, you a good response. Yeah, he was like, shit, no one's ever put me in this position. Because <laughs> think about it. How many other people do you think he's probably done this with, yes. right? So anyway, so then he texted me back and he was like, hey, yeah, you know, I'm really sorry. Like, I enjoyed my time with you, but like, maybe we'll just keep this platonic, you know, have a nice life. And that's fine. Like, I'm, I'm more than happy now, right? Like, exactly. But I'm just saying that how many other people would he be doing this to? And how many of us do it to other people? Yeah. Unknowingly sometimes, yeah. right? And also doing it to other people that may not handle it the same way that you handle it, right? right. And so for some people, it might affect them in a way that it does hurt their self-confidence. Yeah. In the same vein, orbiting is something that's similar to breadcrumbing, where instead of someone stringing you along, they're sort of just hovering around you and hovering around your life in some way. Right. <laughs> and part of that is when someone will text you here and there from time to time. Like every week, they'll like text you and then disappear. Or when they friend you on Instagram and they'll like your photos, but not actually have a line of communication open with you. And it's happened to me where there was a guy who asked to be added on Instagram. And then we were texting here and there, and then he went quiet for two weeks. And then he came back and said, oh, I was busy with work. And then we talked for a couple of days, and then he went quiet for a few weeks. And then he would like my pictures on Instagram. (laughs) And then he would go quiet for a few weeks. And then finally, I just said, listen, I'm not interested in continuing any conversations with you. And that's it. I just don't have time for that behavior. And I think a lot of people don't have time for that behavior. But it's good that you called him out. I think that's the hardest part is just feeling that rejection and then allowing the the feelings from being rejected to kind of overcome and and take a hit on our own self-confidence. But it's like, hell no, I can take that into my own hands and call people out on it. So I think that's something that we all need to learn to do. Then we have catfishing, right? Which is I might put a different picture up of somebody or I might pretend I'm somebody else. I might pretend I'm a lawyer when really I'm in IT or something just to kind of pull someone in. Mm -hmm. But interestingly, I actually have a friend who pretended to be her older sister on AIM, which was old school, like back in the day. AOL Instant Messenger. Exactly. And um, and now she's married to the guy. So sometimes (laughs) it it works. works. It works for them. Catfishing can work. Um, It works for them. Then obviously you have friend zoning, which happens like regularly in life where you just end up becoming good friends. You realize there's no chemistry, which is great. Like sometimes it's nice to make friends, you know, network through these dating apps. And I've definitely done that. Like I've met great people on dating apps and you know what? They're not part of my network and I'm totally okay with that. 
And then you've got the next best thing syndrome, mm-hmm. which is what, where this whole mindless swiping uh, factors in, where you just have so many choices. You might have matched with somebody. You might have gone on a couple of dates with them. They might be a great person, but you're still in the back of your head thinking, ooh, who else what is if? out there? What, who else is out there? What yeah. if I meet someone, quote, in quotes, better? Right. And there is nobody better than somebody else, but you just have so many choices that you think that you're going to meet somebody that you might have more chemistry with. Right, right. With dating apps, you control the narrative, right? You decide how you present yourself to the rest of the world. So you can hide things. You can hide the fact that maybe you're divorced. Maybe you have children. Maybe you don't have a job. A lot of times when I see like self-employed, I'm like, wait, does that mean you're not working? Or does that mean you're really self-employed? So it's, mm-hmm. it's all these things like you, you essentially could become a completely different person on this dating app. Exactly. I actually had a friend who went on a date with this guy and she said she really enjoyed it. And I think it was like date two, she found out that he had a wife. And she was devastated because he, obviously that was not something that he advertised on his profile, but it came out in conversation when he was like, oh yeah, my wife. And he caught himself. And so clearly, I don't know what he was looking for. Maybe he was just looking for a good time, but it's just, it's crazy to me, an absolute madness that somebody could basically hide their most basic facts about themselves. Yeah. And I think that these bad apples is what creates this doubt of online dating in our mind. What ends up happening is we go into online dating doubting so much about it. We're not only doubting the process, we're also doubting the people. Right. And these bad apples and these bad experiences enhance that doubt. If we go and prepared for that, our whole experience will be different. Right, right. How really have dating apps affected our lives? The dating styles and what we look for in a partner have kind of evolved. Some of us maybe become a little bit superficial, right? Where it's like, this is the type of person I want. And I think you and I were talking about this a few days ago where it was like, you know, I think as we're getting older, we're realizing that looks fade and the person who's under those looks like is what stays, right? The character is essentially what stays. Exactly. You can still have chemistry with someone regardless of how they look. Right. Chemistry is very different from just physical attraction to somebody. So in addition to the fact that it seems like we've become more superficial as we are on dating apps, it's interesting to think about what are the traits that we're looking for in a partner? And are we looking for too many traits in one person? Mm. So in the old days, people lived in these tribal communities and your spouse only filled certain desires or traits. So for example, intimacy and security. And the people in your community filled all the rest of your desires. So for Mm. example, being intellectual with somebody, adventure, excitement, those are all things that you were getting from other people in your tribal communities. But now we kind of want our partners to have everything. Right. We basically want them to be stable, but we also want them to be adventurous. We also want them to be predictable. We want them to be intellectual and exciting and intimate and secure. There's all these things that we want them to be. And it's really hard to ask one person to fulfill all of those expectations. I mean, it's interesting. Like, I think we should just turn around and say, hey, do I have all of that? Exactly. Right? And I don't, I think you won't be able to answer that with a yes. Mm -hmm. Um, And if you are, please call us because we'd love to know (laughs) who you are. But, you know, I think when you give yourself all these expectations, you're only setting yourself up for disappointment. Exactly. The thing is, at the end of the day, for some people, dating apps work. For some people, they would like it to be a little bit more organic. I knew that being the person I was, that it would be very hard for me to meet in a dating app only because when I would meet with someone via dating app, right? It felt very transactional. It felt like when we met at the restaurant or, you know, at the coffee shop or wherever we met, 
it was for the purpose of finding love. And so you're already setting yourself up with this expectation that like this person I will either fall in love with or there will be nothing. It, mm-hmm. There's no in between. You're mm-hmm. on two extremes, right? Yep. But then when I finally did find my partner, it was through a very organic, I mean, we were friends first. And then it turned into something romantic. And it was because there were no expectations, there were no strings attached to that. And I think that that sometimes is where a little bit of the disappointment comes in with dating apps Mm -hmm. is because you're thinking this is either love or nothing. Yes. And it would be great for people to find someone organically. But even before dating apps, like we talked about earlier, there were matchmakers. Mm -hmm. Your friends or family are setting you up. You're putting ads in the newspaper. Right. So all of these things were different forms of finding your match that weren't necessarily organic. Yeah. And they did have those same extremes. It's either love or it's nothing. So if we go into online dating thinking that this process is not new, this process has existed for generations and generations and people have met each other through various forms of setting up it's just a new method it's just this is just a new method yeah because technology is now such a big part of our lives this is just a new method to use technology to basically be part of that same exact process exactly that's really true yeah i think one of the things that we really need to mention and especially in the south asian community is the effect of dating apps on our mental health I think there are many times where dating apps can actually enhance our insecurities because you think, wow, this guy's really good looking and I swiped right on him and we didn't match. That means that he doesn't think I'm beautiful or he doesn't think I'm good enough or what is it? Like, what's wrong with me? Mm-hmm. And it sucks because you you stop thinking of the fact that, you know, beauty does lie in the eye of the beholder. So maybe his taste is like tall women and I'm five zero. So like maybe he's not into short girls, but then you end up putting it on yourself. You're like, oh my gosh, am I ugly? Am I too short? And that kind of goes back to the fact that we think that there's this homogenous view of what beauty is right in today's world. And we think that beautiful means tall, slender, long hair, light skinned, curvy. Right. That's what we think beauty means. Right. And it's not necessarily true. Absolutely not true. And so it does hurt our body image and it does hurt, it does affect our insecurities when, when we get rejected in these forms. And it also kind of makes us question the general reliability of the opposite sex too. Right. You know, and, and actually online dating, I mean, we talked about this. We said, you know, we mindlessly swipe when we're in the bathroom or when we're on the train or when we're having lunch at work, whatever it is. It's like, it's kind of become this filler activity. Mm-hmm. Essentially, it's become addictive and it actually increases depression and anxiety. Yeah. So Match.com released stats where they said that almost one in six singles, that's 15%, reported feeling addicted to the online process of looking for a date. That's a huge number. Mm-hmm. Men were 97% more likely to feel addicted to dating than women, which I think is really interesting. I did not know that. I and would have thought it's the opposite. Yeah, and it kind of makes me feel more empathetic towards men as well yeah. because it's it tells you that, hey, they're looking for romantic relationships right. and intimacy as well. And 54% of women felt more burned out by the process. And part of that is, you know, maybe we can shift that by once again changing our mentality when we're going into the right. online dating process. Knowing that it's a process and processes sometimes take a long time. Right. But there are times where dating apps have worked. Between 05 and 2012, there was a large number of Americans who found their spouse or partners on dating apps. And that to this day is growing. You know, I remember when I first started telling my mom about dating apps and I walked her through it and she was like, wait, I don't understand. Why are you swiping? And I was like, because this means yes and this means no. And yeah. And she was so confused and she was like, but I don't understand. How will you know if you have a connection? I'm like, I think with millennials, 
millennials, the way that we speak in text messaging and in messaging in general is just, there is potential for a connection with somebody, right? Mm -hmm. It's like, how are they speaking to me? What are they saying to me? And sometimes you have that online connection and you meet in person and there's zilch. Yep, exactly. Um, and so, you know, it's, it's worth exploring. Yes, and it's worth exploring. And today's reality is that there's a high probability that you will probably meet your partner online in some form. And there's absolutely no shame in admitting to that. When people ask you, how did you meet? And you're about to get married to this person and you guys met on Dill Mill, there's absolutely no shame in saying that. And it's just about owning the fact that this is the new reality. Yeah, so you do you, boo-boos. Masala meter, where we score something everyone is talking about on how hot it is. We go from cumin, pretty bland, not much going on, to trouble tamarind, a little sweet and spicy, to garam masala, where it's getting hotter, ladies and gentlemen, and all the way to slalmilch, where it's just too hot to handle. So Navi, what's the scoop? So online dating sometimes leads to weddings, big weddings. And we all love to go to Desi weddings for basically the food and the dancing. But did you know that Desi weddings are essentially driving the Baltimore hotel economy? For example, 70% of the wedding business at the Hilton Baltimore Inner Harbor are from Desi weddings. First of all, the average cost of these weddings is $200,000. And second, Baltimore is a pretty central location, New York, New Jersey, and people coming from abroad. And it's pretty hilarious how companies like Marriott and Hilton have picked up on this trend and are now catering to or even milking the Desi communities. So Novera, where do we put this on the masala meter? This story couldn't be more timely. I'm getting my very own version of a big fat Desi wedding where everyone and their mom is invited. So I totally get it with these big weddings. I got a little bit lucky that my parents semi-compromised, but it's honestly so sad that in our culture, there's such an emphasis on spending so much on a wedding and putting together this jumbo party when in our countries there's so much poverty and we could be putting that money to better use. With that said, kudos to Baltimore for capitalizing on our extravagance. Like, why not, right? But I'm gonna rate this as low as it gets. This story gets cumin. Because honestly, we need to get out of this mentality where our lives revolve around weddings. Not even marriages, weddings. And I'm learning this myself the hard way. So come on, Desi community, we can do better.